You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. We are nearing the end of March 2021. It's Brain Injury Awareness Month, but certainly not to be overlooked, it's also National Athletic Training Month. I've said before that I don't think it's a coincidence that these two months coincide with each other, given the important role our athletic trainers take in concussion awareness, education, diagnosis, and management. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by three athletic trainers who have played a prominent role in my life as a sports medicine physician. I've certainly learned from them and the many other athletic trainers I've had the pleasure of working with over the years. Let's talk athletic training. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Today, I'm joined by three athletic trainers who have all had or had different roles in the world of athletic training. Jim Anderson is a now retired athletic trainer after 41 years in the collegiate and professional sports setting. We were just joking the other day that retiring last spring was about as perfect timing as you can get during an unexpected pandemic. He is a graduate of the University of Colorado and has been an assistant athletic trainer for the University of Southern California, head athletic trainer for the Oakland Invaders Football Club, followed by the Los Angeles Rams, and then followed them to St. Louis, but then finished his career as an associate athletic trainer at Washington University in St. Louis. Cindy Rakovich is an athletic trainer with 23 years of experience at all levels of sports participation, from youth sports to national championship events. She has served on the Missouri State High School Activities Association Sports Medicine Advisory Board since 2005. She received her degree from Missouri Baptist University and has several additional certifications, including the NSCA, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, the NASM, Performance Enhancement Specialist, and the Gray's Institute Certification of Applied Functional Science. She is currently the manager of athletic training services for Athletico in St. Louis. Byron Cunningham is an athletic trainer with 17 years of experience at the high school through professional levels of sports. He is a graduate of Florida A&M University, where he received his Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy, and then he earned his Master's in Sports Science from the United States Sports Academy. He has worked with the Rhine Fire in NFL Europe, Bishop McNamara High School, the University of Illinois, and Minnesota Vikings. We met when he joined the medical staff of the St. Louis Rams, and now he serves as Director of Rehabilitation of the Los Angeles Rams and is now approaching 12th season with the team. He has received numerous awards and accolades in his career from his alma mater and the Professional Football Athletic Trainer Society. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I thought we could have a little fun with this episode. You know, I thought we could share some stories, do some background as to how each of you got into your roles and that you've either served or served and maybe some of the struggles you've had, the strangest injuries maybe you've seen, the most memorable moments, and just some advice for the younger athletic trainers out there. And we'll we'll just kind of see where this podcast episode goes. So we'll start with Jim. So you retired this past year, kind of an anticlimactic ending to the career with sports getting shut down the few months before you officially retired. But yeah, tell us was, a little bit about your path uh, through athletic training. It was an unusual year with the way the onset of COVID and everything in March, and then I retired in June. So I didn't really get involved too much in the, the comeback process with dealing with COVID as, as you other guys have. But yeah, my interest started basically when I was in high school. Grew up in a small town in East Texas. And the Houston Oilers football team had their summer training camp in my hometown every summer. So through my high school and early college years, I worked in uh, the Houston Oilers training camp. And that was my first exposure to, to really anything as far as sports care and sports medicine was. And that's kind of piqued my interest in, uh, in the field. I started out working in the equipment room. You know, we just basically a summer high school kid working, doing whatever needed to be done. But once I got involved with the athletic training side of it and started working with the trainers, uh, it really piqued my interest and things just kind of took off from there. And then I went on to school and uh, studied sports medicine at the University of Colorado. Graduated there in 1979. And then my first job out of college was as an assistant trainer at the University of Southern California. Spent four years there and then went to the Oakland Invaders for a couple of seasons, and then uh, just through the fact that I had an association with the football coach that was at USC, he got hired by the Rams as the head coach, and they happened to be looking for an athletic trainer. So it was a coincidence that uh, knowing him, and he happened to be looking for somebody, and that gave me the opportunity to go to the Rams, and I spent 27 years there before I went to Wash U and then ultimately retired. 
definitely a seasoned career there. No question about it. So was the, the invaders, is that USFL? Yeah, that was a USFL, United States Football League. It only lasted three years, but it was a spring professional football league. And there's been several come and go since then, but that was an opportunity for me to go from being an assistant to a head position. And that's why I left USC to try that. And like I said, just fortunately, two years later, the Ram situation came up and and things worked out from there. Yeah, absolutely. It's always, you know, those things just seem to fall into place as far as where we wind up in our careers. And so Byron, you're a physical therapist and athletic trainer. Talk to us about your path to your current position. Awesome. You know, I, I'm trying to keep my path under an hour. So I've, I've, I've done, a, I've done a lot, believe it or not. But, um, you know, I, you know, I knew growing up, you know, in Mobile, Alabama, that, you know, I've always wanted, you know, to work in healthcare and work with patients. So, you know, I had no idea what an athletic trainer was until I got to college. You know, this was, you know, in the early nineties, you know, I grew up playing competitive sports my whole life and never really had the presence of an athletic trainer. So I got actually got recruited to play to play baseball at, at Florida A&M, you know, went there, actually majored in pre-physical therapy. I got into the physical therapy program, had to stop playing baseball. So one of my professors was a physical therapist and an athletic trainer. And he was also the athletic trainer for the high school that was on Florida A&M's campus. So he would invite my classmates just to kind of job shadow him. And I, and I actually absolutely fell in love with it because I felt like I was in my element and I was doing patient care and sports. So I kind of started asking him questions on just, hey, you know, how do you become an athletic trainer and, and how do you, you know, get to work with the team? He basically said that I, I needed to go back to school and become an athletic trainer. So long story short, I took his I took his word, you know, went back to school to get my master's, which at the time, you know, you could still go through the internship route of athletic training, which, mm-hmm. of course, doesn't exist anymore. So I basically, I finished up all my coursework at the United States Sports Academy, and I had to complete an internship in order to graduate. So I did my internship with Auburn University's football team, and and not because it was SEC or, or major college football. I did it there because they honestly gave me free housing, and, and I had no money. So I ended up going to Auburn, and that experience at Auburn was was kind of a blessing in disguise because that atmosphere and environment was, was really intense. And it made me decide early on, is this really what I want to do? And and for some strange reason, it was. So and, and not to get, you know, too, too in depth, but more internships and opportunities, you know, started to present itself from my Auburn experience. You know, I ended up doing a summer internship with the Colts. I did a seasonal a seasonal internship with the Chicago Bears. I worked in Germany for NFL Europe uh, with the Ryan Fire. Then I come back from Europe and I get a, a job just doing some clinic outreach work at a high school. I was there for one year. Then I moved on to work at the University of Illinois for four years. But my heart was really in, into that pro football setting. So I had an opportunity to go work for the Minnesota Vikings. And, and this was in 2009. So I was there for one year and another opportunity presented itself for me to go work for, you know, at the time, the St. Louis Rams. I've basically been a Ram ever since, and I'm about to start my 12th season uh, with with the organization here in Los Angeles. And then that's kind of my journey. It's crazy to think it's been 12 years already since I first crossed paths with you um, back I with know. the St. Louis Rams. It's it's uh, it's nuts that that time has flown by that quick. I, I know it's, it's it's funny because ironically, yesterday was the day I signed my contract to work for the Rams. It was March 22nd, 2010. Yeah. So Cindy, you you serve now in a supervisory role for athletic training outreach for Athletico here in St. Louis. Tell us about your path. I definitely didn't take a conventional path to find athletic training either. I didn't have a an athletic trainer at my high school. I actually took a little bit of a break away from college and I, I returned tr- thinking that I was going to be an education major and look to teach. I kind of lucked into a, a sports medicine class, a, you know, exercise physiology classes, electives, but I got hooked pretty quickly, completed an internship with, with a high school athletic trainer and, and honestly haven't looked back since then. That was about 25 years ago. A majority of my career has been at high school level, but I've also worked collegiately. I've had the opportunity to support national championship events and, and worked with youth sports as well. So I, th- I think each of those settings is rewarding and, and provides its own level of excitement. 
I think one of the best parts of my career so far has been my opportunity to be involved with athletic training education. Continuing to learn has always been important to professional growth for me, and, and I've enjoyed being a part of that, coordinating continuing education, looking for quality speakers, needed topics, opportunities to, to meet and learn, honestly, some of the best clinicians in the nation and, and to introduce our athletic trainers to them. And then for the last several years, I've had an opportunity to work in a leadership role that, that's given me the opportunity to influence young athletic trainers, um, the, the ones that are going to take over the reins from, from the three of us eventually. And uh, it, it honestly is really fun to, to see their enthusiasm for the profession. Yeah, that's always been the hard part of, you know, working at the high school level. You know, I, I had the pleasure of working with you on the sidelines a couple seasons, but, you know, you see these younger athletic trainers come up in the high schools and then, you know, you, you know that some of them are, are are just like stellar people and, you know, you hate to see them leave that high school realm, but you understand why they, they do it sometimes. And I think I've worked with more trainers through the high school than than I care to remember now, just over the years at the different schools I've worked with. But but yeah, it's it's uh, it's fun to watch that growth, especially, you know, the ones that are coming straight out of their training and and, and watching them, uh, you know, see and get experience in that whole level for sure. Let's talk some stories from your careers. So we'll be we'll be HIPAA mindful here. I'd love to hear from each of you something you found extremely rewarding during your career. And that could be, you know, a case or, or something that happened or a professional moment in your career. And then we'll, we'll follow with something that you found to be a significant challenge. But we'll start with those those high moments first. So Byron, why don't you start with something you found incredibly rewarding as, as an athletic trainer? You know, we had a wide receiver suffered, you know, what we thought was a, a at the time, a, a career-ending shoulder injury. And, and it kind of put the injury into perspective. You know, he completely evolves his supraspinatus. He completely evolves his infraspinatus off of his humeral head, partially towards subscapularis, his biceps, was dislocated from the groove and he tore his entire posterior capsule. So, so he, he pretty much just had a horrific shoulder injury and his entire shoulder had to essentially be reconstructed. You know, I, I went with him to, to see a specialist and he basically was, was told that his, his career was in serious jeopardy and basically to start thinking about quality of life and, and not football. You know, to hear the doctor kind of kind of say that and, and to see the sadness in his eyes, it just didn't sit well with me. And, and you know, and at the time, I I don't think I really understood the magnitude of the injury. But, you know, I, I looked at him and basically said, you know, we're not going to, to, to listen to the doctor. You know, and I took my hat to him because he, he put his basically his career in my hands because he trusted me. And and he actually went on to play another four years, you know, after his injury. And until this day, you know, I still rank that number one on my list as, as far as my most rewarding moment. And having worked with Byron, I will tell you, if he takes on a rehab endeavor, he is not going to give up. Uh, <laughs> I, I certainly <laughs> see that. So I, I, you know, him taking on that challenge is no, no question at all. How about you, Cindy? Yeah, I think I'll, uh, you know, I can, I can go back to a case that, you know, from my early career, a 14-year-old volleyball player incoming freshman who had been experiencing some calf pain through the summer, been to her pediatrician, had, had just gone to, you know, a, a sports medicine physician. That doctor basically just told her, you know, you can suck it up and, and play. And, and, you know, knowing the family, that just didn't, it didn't seem right. You know, I wasn't worried that she wasn't tough enough, but, you know, at the same time, we, we try and work through all of that. But I also happened to be at, at practice that day and saw a big color change in, in one of her low legs. So long story short, she ended up with a, a, a popliteal um, artery occlusion at 14, which is I, I don't think is all that common. We got her to the right doctors. She ended up actually having a stent in place, worked through her progression, returned to volleyball that year, and then you know made the switch to cross country, ran for the next three years with without any problems. And and so, you know, for me early in the career, that was that was a, a, a learning point um, and something that I've carried with me for the whole, you know, my whole career. And, you know, every every injury isn't always what it seems to be. You know, make sure that you're evaluating in, in a sports setting too. just trust your instincts. And if it didn't seem to fit and it was because it, it didn't fit and, 
you know, the, the smile on her face, the smile on every athlete's face when they get back to doing what they absolutely love to do is probably the, the biggest reward. And, you know, it recharges a lot of batteries when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that is a pretty rare diagnosis of popliteal artery occlusion or entrapment. I think I've maybe had two or three cases in 20 years of doing this. So it's not, it, that's definitely not a common cause of calf pain by any means. So kudos to, to figure that one out. How about you, Jim? Yeah, I agree with what Cindy said. I think, you know, just in general terms, I think whenever you have athletes that can overcome a huge obstacle like an injury or a rehabilitation that's a, you know, long withstanding road to get back to play, I mean, that's the reward is to be able to see those kids laugh and smile and have fun and get back to doing what they were doing before. Believe it or not, my situation was not so much a sports injury, but a cardiac event. We had a morning practice going on we were it was when i was with the la rams this was back in the early 90s but we had training camp at uc irvine and we were in the middle of practice and they had some summer kids camps going on for tennis and soccer and various things on some of the adjacent fields and all out of the blue we hear somebody yelling get get some help we need an ambulance uh, we've got somebody down so my assistant and i ran over just to, to see if we could help out in the meantime and there was a 13-year-old girl that had collapsed on the field in cardiac arrest. So the two of us, you know, we, we put things into motion. Our equipment guy had a phone on the field at that time. And uh, so we put the process of 911, getting an ambulance. And then my assistant and I did CPR for probably 10 to 12 minutes until the ambulance got there. And back in those days, you didn't have AEDs. So CPR was really the only thing you had to deal with that situation. And then once the paramedics got there in the ambulance, they did have a archaic AED by today's terms, but something that did work to get the shot going and got her heart rhythm back and she made a full recovery. And like I said, this was back in the early 90s. And to this day, I still get a card every year. She's got young kids of her own now and has lived a normal life. And that really was a, you know, a, a situation that you never want to get put into, but Fortunately, it worked out in a in a positive ending. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great story. It's, I, I think the thing that's that's interested me the most of the three of you and your answers is they've all been experiences and relationships that each of you have had with individuals. Rather than the answer that I think a lot of people think that we would say is you know for two of you at least is being at the Super Bowl. I think in that picture, I think it's those events are cool events, but it's those relationships and that opportunity to work with people individually and seeing them individually recover and have a great outcome. I, I think those are the things that stick with us the most. At least I know for me, it is as well. I think the, the part we do is our job, our profession, you know, is, is makes a big contribution in all three of those stories, you know, that's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what makes it worthwhile for all of us, you know, and I think I get down to the nuts and bolts of it. That's why we chose this profession in the first place, because that was that was something that intrigued us and we wanted to be a part of. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, it's funny because, you know, we, you know, a lot of times when I talk to people and, you know, we talk about, you know, our jobs, what I do working in pro sports, you know, it's never about the game. It's about the relationships. You know, it's about the pre-game locker room, post-game celebrations, the bus ride to the airport, the airplane ride in the training room throughout the week. You know, we never talk about the game. Uh, we never talk about what goes on in between the lines. It, it's everything else. And that's what, you know, I, I think, you, you know, you build those relationships with people and, and you realize the game is really secondary when you really, really kind of go through the grind of, of working in, in sports, in my opinion. But it's funny because that's the only thing people see of the, the three hours on Sunday, and they think that's all it is. And, I, and, I, and fire, I tell how people, how many times have you sat down on the airplane and thought back of the game and you go, you know, I don't remember five minutes of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? uh, a, a lot, right? <laughs> that's what I find uh, yeah. myself. I go back. Well, I don't even remember the first touchdown, or I don't know what the it, score was at halftime because you're you're going ninety miles an hour for three hours. Power, exactly. No, no, you're you're exactly right. <laughs> But I think that, you know, experience for all of us, you know, you'll get people asking us because we are in that sports medicine world and, you know, we've all worked with athletes at all different levels. And, you know, so certainly when you get to that high level, you know, everybody's just like, well, what's it like to be on the sidelines? I'm like, well, first of all, half the time I can't see 
because I'm way on the edge and I got a six, seven lineman in front of me half the time too. So I'm trying to look around them and trying to figure out what's going on. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely uh, everything but the game that we wind up talking about and remembering for sure. No question. So yeah, I think the first five years I worked football, my, my primary goal was not to get run over. Taking that gym. If you remember this experience, and I will, I will, I will out myself on this one here of my probably most embarrassing moment in football. If you ever remember, this I believe was my first season with the Rams, and I was on the sideline, my lovely little rookie sports medicine doctor that I was, and I learned the lesson right away. Whenever there's a punt and you hear sideline alert, you better be looking at the field. Because we were in Detroit and there was a, a player who I was evaluating for a concussion at the time. And I had my back to the field and the gunner came and nailed me, like just like plowed me over. I, I don't know how far I flew. And the first, I don't know if you remember this, Jim, but but you came over to me, asked me, <laughs> you said, are you up or are you down? <laughs> I, said, I said, I'm up. I'm good. <laughs> so, but yes, I'll, I'll never forget that. And the, and the funny thing about that is we had an episode, that game where we had a person who had transient quadriparesis and had to be taken to the hospital. I had a whole bunch of people text me after the game saying, we saw you on TV. And I was just playing like, oh my God, please don't let you it be where I got lit up on the sidelines. Camera. Please don't let it be where I got lit up on the sidelines. So fortunately that was not, they did not get that on camera, but, but yeah, yes. I've, uh, I've seen some ugly collisions on those gunner situations. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So that was my, my, my welcome to the NFL moment, I will say. And it was also my, my first learning lesson as probably one of my most valuable lessons from, from the athletic training staff is never turn your back to the field. So (laughs) you're right. So thank you for that, Jim. So how about we talk about a significant challenge that each of you has faced over the years and, and how you respond to that. And we'll start with Cindy. So, you know, do I just take the easy way out and say COVID, right? Because, you know, there, there's no doubt that this past year has been one of the biggest challenges that we've all faced and, and hopefully ever will face as far as, you know, athletic trainers go. But if, if I look past that, you know, family and career, I, th- I think is definitely the biggest challenge. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that I responded to it as much as I, I just survived. I had great support from my family. My daughter was an athlete at the high school that that I worked at, which 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 helped a whole lot. And honestly, I, I just had to get better at setting boundaries and get better at saying, Coach, if if you want to practice at, at 10 a.m. on Sunday, then that's okay. But I, I'm not going to be here. It, it wasn't easy. It, it still isn't easy, you know, for sure. But but it's important. And you know, I I hope that our, our young athletic trainers who are out there and, and thinking, can I have a family and and be an athletic trainer? The real answer is yes. Sometimes you just gotta, you know, you just gotta work with that a little bit and 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 play with it to find out what the the best way to make that happen for you is. Yeah, work life balance is always a tough thing for for any of us in the sports medicine world. I mean, it, again, we're we're doing stuff after hours a lot. Certainly for athletic trainers, it's you know for the high school level, it's the afternoons through the evenings, lots of weekends. So it can definitely be a struggle, and it's really hard to to say no, especially early in your career. That I know was not in my vocabulary at all for probably the first ten years of my career. And then my wife was nice to let me know that I need to have that word in my vocabulary, and it has, and, and it's been it's been good. But that's it, it can be a struggle because you just want to do everything you want to please everybody, especially early on. How about you, Jim? You know, uh, Cindy, in your reference to the uh, COVID situation, I was exposed to about the first three months of COVID, you know, when my onset started in March, basically in our world. And then I retired in June. But going back a few years in the early 90s, obviously AIDS was a big thing prior to that. But when Magic Johnson contracted AIDS and that became you know, the huge story that it did. That was probably the first real challenge I think all of us as athletic trainers at that particular time faced. Um, You know, we never wore exam gloves on the field. We never paid attention who used a wet towel or wiped a towel or passed towels uh, person to person on the bench. It was just a whole new world of, you know, now we got to buckle down and there's a thousand more things we got to deal with. And I think that was a hard thing to overcome early on because now you've got things on a league-wide level saying, okay, here's the new mandates. Everybody wears rubber gloves. Everybody used to had to go through some series of hepatitis shot injections. You know, it's just a number of things. And I just remember that was a, a stressful time for me because of our job wasn't 
our plate wasn't full enough to begin with. Now we're adding all this to it. So, I mean, we made it through and, you know, it was, it's a process and work. I think the same thing would be the situation with COVID at this point. But to me, that was probably the, the one outstanding challenge I remember. Yeah. How about you, Byron? You know, as I kind of talked earlier about the horrific shoulder injury, that was that was my biggest reward. But, you know, when I kind of look back at it, you know, that was also my biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. And I say that because, you know, we were kind of in unknown territory. You, you know, I know a lot of times as athletic trainers, you know, you can rely on coworkers, you can rely on doctors, you know, evidence-based, you know, research to kind of help guide you through, you know, certain injuries. But with this particular injury, you know, that was no protocol. You, you know, I couldn't find any literature on, on this type of injury. You know, that was no time frame for return. You know, that was, you know, that was a lot of, you know, sweat and tears, you know, as tough as the rehab was physically, it was even tougher mentally. But, you know, I, I took it as a personal challenge because, you know, one of the things that I take pride in is having a connection with my players. So when they succeed, you know, I succeed. You know, when they fail, I fail. And and I think that's important when it comes to being a clinician and 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 being what we call just natural caregivers. Even though the, the injury was a very a challenging injury, you know, I, I definitely took it upon myself to hone in on, on my on my principles, the things that I learned in school and and say, hey, you know, we, we can get through this, you know, without much out there. So so that but that was very challenging. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue our discussion about all things athletic training. Editing podcasts can be, ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control free factor and the gotta get it right the first time factor, and well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the editor core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my focused audience of professionals interested in pediatric sports medicine, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hole message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. We are back, and I'm joined by Jim Anderson, Cindy Rakovich, and Byron Cunningham, all athletic trainers talking about athletic training and their careers. You know, athletic training, it seems to be pretty evenly split with men and women, although perhaps, you know, you guys may know a little bit better than I do how evenly split that may be. I think when I was looking up some statistics, it's pretty close to 50-50, but, you know, Cindy, you're a female athletic trainer. How have you found that to be, or maybe not, a challenge for you in getting equal respect as your male counterparts? Mark, I think you're right. I think the the statistics now are are pretty close to 50-50. And I've been fortunate that I haven't experienced a difference in respect as a female athletic trainer, worked in in settings that have been supportive, whether that's the company that I work for or, or the high schools. I know everybody hasn't had that same experience and, you know, and, and I definitely feel for them. But right now, our leadership team, even in the company that I work for is, pretty equally split, extremely supportive, and and definitely, you know, don't feel like that there's been any bias because of that. Byron, as a black athletic trainer and physical therapist, how, how about, have you faced any challenges? You know, it is a fairly white dominated profession. I was kind of looking back here and, you know, I think looking through my career and I apologize if I've missed anybody and thinking back in my career outside of, I know some interns that I've worked with as athletic trainers, but 
you know, you and Reggie Scott were the first two black athletic trainers that I think I worked with during my entire career. Have you found that to be a challenge for you or any issues with that and kind of going through the profession? Kind of when I first started, you know, as, as a student athletic trainer, when I first had my experience at Auburn, I, I get there and, you know, one of my first days, you, you know, all the players was like, wow, you know, we have a black, you know, we have a black intern or, you know, we have a black athletic trainer. And again, I was very young in, in the profession and I really didn't know, I, I guess, that I was, you know, maybe considered, uh, uh, you know, a, a minority in the in, in the profession to, to the point where it was it, it was it had to be brought to the table, I guess. And, and again, this was in 2001. So you fast forward, you know, my four years working football at the University of Illinois, you know, I was the only black athletic trainer, head or assistant working football in the Big Ten. And this was from 2005 to 2008. And, you know, that always bothered me because I know that there are so many good, qualified, competent Black athletic trainers out there that can probably do the job better than me. You know, why was I kind of, quote unquote, the chosen one? You know, why was there, why was there not more? I, I, you know, that's a question I can't answer. But, you know, I, I really, you know, that's something that just kind of just bothered me my four, spending four years in the Big Ten and, and, and kind of seeing that there was really not much, let's, let's call it diversity, amongst my peers, you, you know, in that conference. And I'm going to kind of share another personal story with you guys. You know, so my last two years at Illinois, I was promoted to head athletic trainer. Two of my assistants were white. And before all games, you know, a referee would come into the training room to see if there were any players that had any type of specialized equipment like a cast and, you know, which was standard protocol. So, so, you know, we expected the referees to come in. So, so it was normal standard procedure, but, but every time the refs would come into the locker room, you know, they, they would always approach my white assistants. You know, they would, they would never approach me. You know, they would always kind of just walk past me and not even acknowledge me, just assuming that they were in charge. And immediately they would kind of start asking the questions that they should be asking me. And the players actually started to kind of notice. And, and, it, and it really kind of boiled down to one thing. I think it was just because of the color of my skin. And, and I think just because the assumption, you know, is always the assumption that I was always a player or a coach or, you know, that someone of color could not be in maybe in kind of those type of roles. So I, I think, you know, I think that's why inclusion and, and, and diversity, you know, it, it matters, you know, so much to me, you know, now, you know, more than ever. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying those referees were, you know, definitely, I obviously didn't know them. They seemed like nice guys. But but I, I think that, you know, just for them to see me, they just always almost, it was almost a stereotype where, well, he can't be the medical, you know, he, he, he can't be qualified to, to, to be the head athletic trainer. So, you know, I'm going to go to maybe who I'm comfortable seeing. And, and those are my, you know, two white assistants. So I'm kind of curious, Byron, how, how did you handle that situation when that came about? You know, knowing you over the years, you, you are someone that, that will state your opinions. I know that. Um, sure. So I'm curious if, if you kind of address that in the moment or not. You know what? Well, I, I guess kind of cool about the situation. <laughs> my assistants addressed it, you, ah, you know, good. <laughs> you know, it, it got to the point where I didn't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like uh, he's in charge, not us. So <laughs> and, and and some of those guys were often apologetic and you can almost see the the shock in their face. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and not to make, you know, light of it or a joke about it. But, you know, it, the, the players all also kind of voiced their opinion about it as well. Like, say, hey. Those two aren't the one in charge. Uh, it, it, it's him. So, so, so they really, you know, let's say, kind of had my back, so to speak. And you know, I, I wasn't, you know, in that type of situation. You know, I, I wasn't gonna, you know, do anything to, you know, to, to jeopardize, you know, my job or get into some confrontation with the referee an hour and a half before before kickoff. So, right, right. But, but, you know, but 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 at the same time, you, you know, I had support from my co-workers and, and, and the players. So, and, and that meant a lot to me. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this when we talked about kind of our rewarding moments, our challenging moments, and some of you brought up some cases, but I'm just curious, you know, anything else, 
interesting cases or experiences that you've had over your careers, just stuff that's like been, wow, that was kind of a, a weird experience or that was kind of a weird diagnosis and I wasn't expecting that. Anything else kind of strike your fancy outside of what you've already shared? And we can start with Jim. Yeah, I've got one situation that stands out on the top of my list. And this happened probably back in the early 90s. We were playing a game in Detroit. And on one of the punt team plays, one of our defensive backs was uh, a gunner. And he's running downfield. And of course, he's being blocked by two people. And he's trying to fight his way out. And he's got gloves on his hand. And what happens is he gets his fingers caught in the face mask of one of the players trying to block him. And, you know, I see the play happening and actually saw exactly everything that went on. But I see him as he yanks his hand out of the face mask and then he starts shaking it like, you know, I'm thinking he either dislocated a finger, broke it, whatever. So anyway, he goes on and finishes the play, but then he comes to the sideline holding his arm and he's really in a lot of discomfort. And I'm noticing the glove on his hand that the tip of his ring finger, its you can see the blood coming through the glove. So thinking, okay, well, maybe he's got a, uh, you know, a token fracture or something of that nature. So gently we take the glove off, we're looking at it, get the finger out, and all of three-fourths of the finger comes out of the glove. The tip is still in the tip of the, the finger of the glove. So we're going, holy smokes, I mean, you got this exposed digit. Um, all of the meat and everything was still in the tip of the glove. So we realize what's going on. Now it becomes, a, you know, really an emergency, not a life-threatening, but to try to save his finger. So yeah. we cut the finger off the glove, left the tip in the, in the actual piece of the glove, put it in ice. We get his you know, dressing on his finger and get the ambulance, and they rush him to the hospital where in Detroit they had a hand surgeon on call, did a surgery within about two hours and, and reattached the finger. That was probably the most crazy one I ever dealt with because you can imagine when he pulled the glove off and part of the finger was still in the glove and it uh, it was uh, it was a different situation, one that I hadn't dealt with. Yeah, I'd like to see the expression on your face when that happened, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be a little shock there. <laughs> at least I would well, shocked all of us because we all looked <laughs> yeah, right. at each other like, can you believe this? I mean, <laughs> we're trying not to freak the player out because we didn't, right, right. Yeah, of we course. didn't want him to have a, have a heart attack. But <laughs> yeah, but things worked out. They got it reattached and uh, he never got 100% use of it. But cosmetically, sure. it worked OK. And he continued playing for another four or five years. How about you, Cindy? Yeah, how do you uh, how do you follow that up? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, you know honestly most of I'll say the weird injuries the the challenging injuries that that I've seen have come from maybe not on field actions but the high school kids you know running around the school before they leave on the bus or you know playing some of the games that they sometimes can come up with to to kill time between practices or whatever. And I got called to the front of the school one time because one of the girls was, was down and, and all they said was she hurt her foot and they were playing some kind of game and had pushed the, the front door of the school open. And when they did that, her toe got caught underneath and it, it peeled her whole toenail back, just basically flipped it backwards on, on her toe. And you know, that was a, for her, that was a, you know, a fairly devastating injury for a 14, 15 year old girl, as you can imagine. And, you know, and then the phone call that I have to make to the parents and, and tell the coach, you know, she's not going to be going with you on the bus and having to explain that it's not just kind of a broken toenail. It's a, a much different situation. So. All right, Byron, you can top any of those. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because listening to Jim and Cindy, you know, they, you know they both kind of kind of touched on you know my most challenging you know situation, and and it happened this year. You know, it was literally you know navigating through an NFL season in the middle of a pandemic, and you know in in, in football, you know when things are are normal, you know there's not much change to the daily and weekly routine throughout the NFL season. But, you know, COVID-19 just decided that it wanted to, to disrupt our season. And NFL protocols literally changed on a weekly basis. And, you know, as athletic trainers, you know, we were 
the driving force and on the front lines, you know, with having to stay in constant communication, you know, with the coaches, with the players, with staff, you know, from wearing your mask to, to making sure that the hot tub rules were followed, you know, to, to making sure that people, you know, were wearing their contact tracing devices. And, you know, we also had to be creative in the training room. You know, we had to spread out the treatment tables. You know, we often, you know, took advantage of the California weather and, and did rehab and treatments outside. You know, it, it was constant cleaning, constant wiping down. You know, hydration strategies were different. And the challenge, you know, was, was doing all of that. And we still had to provide, you know, the highest quality health care. You, you know, we still had to keep the main thing the main thing. And that was to get the players healthy and ready to play week to week. So COVID-19 and, and this past season was by far my most challenging season or, or, or anything I, I ever had to endure as an athletic trainer. Athletic training with a plus for sure this season. No question about it. I mean, it's amazing how many athletic trainers got repurposed into doing different roles, being on the front line at the start of this. I mean, I, I don't think athletic trainers got, got enough recognition and respect for some of the roles that they took on early in this process too. And, and obviously just through the whole thing, I mean, you guys, I mean, yeah, all the protocols that you guys had to deal with and the thousands upon thousands of tests that you guys were doing, I mean that, and then, you know, you throw the high school athletic trainer in there who's having to try and navigate and getting a bunch of feisty high school kids to keep their masks on and do all the same things with not as much of an incentive or as carrot as the NFL game each week. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, this, it's been a challenge for everybody. No question about it. So no question. You got to wonder too. I mean, is it ever going to go back to normal? You know, it may have be setting a high bar now of the way it's going to be moving forward. Who knows? You, You know what, Jim, it's funny you say that because there were a lot of things that you almost kind of looked around just throughout the process of the season. And, and we almost asked ourselves, we should have been doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, things just so simple as, you know, why don't we have this much hand sanitizer around the building? You know, why don't we have players use individual water bottles? I right. mean, it just things just so simple that, you, you know, are, are we really going to go back to, to the way they were? So especially when you when you saw success, right. especially when you saw that it worked. So with, without complaining. So I, I agree with you on yeah, that. It's hard to reel it back in once you've seen it work. You know, it's exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to change for everybody. I mean, I just I was talking about this the other day with just even just outside of the world, just of who wants to give up delivery services or stuff. <laughs> taking your door or, or the pickup service where you just drive up to a place and they put the stuff in your car. Yeah. I mean, it just, all, all that stuff. I don't know who's going <laughs> to, who's going to stop yeah. giving that service anymore. So you know, it's like the little things you think back to the effect nine 11 has on just right. how we travel. You, you know, you yep. could walk into the airport, go right to the gate and meet whoever you were meeting. Right. That's not happening anymore. I mean, no. right. There's going to be and, a new and, and, level and, of this that does not go back to normal or the way we knew it. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we also noticed, you, you know, how just working NFL season, you know, once you kind of hit that that late fall going into December, how, you know, when one guy gets sick. It, it seems like it runs through the entire building. Right. Well, this year, I want to say me personally, I probably handed out two Advil code and sinus the entire season. We, we had very few colds. We had very few illnesses. And I think that's because we all had on a mask. We washed our hands more and we stayed as socially distant as we could, you know, working football. We found that pretty interesting that we just didn't have many cases of just common colds. You know, I know for me personally, you know, toward the end of the season, you know, you just kind of fatigued, sleep deprived. And I, I typically get sick Every winter, it, 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 it is automatic, usually between, you know, Thanksgiving and, and somewhere between mid January. It, it, it is automatic. I'm going to get a cold. I didn't I didn't even feel at one time where I was I, I was ab- about to get sick, where I even had to take anything. So so I think, you know, like you said, you know, one that's one of the things it's like, shoot, I mean, are, are we going to wear have to wear a mask every winter? I said, because yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> right. I would absolutely volunteer to do that. So. <laughs> so, Cindy, if there was something you could change about the athletic training profession, what would it be? 
Well, that's uh, that's a tough one for sure. You know, and I, I think I might actually leave it unanswered. It's kind of like, what would I change about my motorcycle? And and I can't think of anything, right? Yeah, I think one of the best things about athletic training is that your choices are so very changeable. There's so many settings, so many options that that you can you can go to. Look at the three of us, same career, same certification, but three different you know pathways. If if high school athletic training isn't for you, then try college, try professional sports, a medical office, or or any of the other paths along athletic training that that are available. And I don't know that we change athletic training. If if you don't like where you're at, then change where you're at in athletic training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Byron? I think I think for me, you know, just 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 personally, you know, I, I think. You know, diversity training, I think, should now be a part of our kind of continuing education. You know, I've, I've always said that, you know, sports brings a wide range of different types of people together. And, and I think our athletic training rooms, you know, often, you know, become a center of, of deep and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, you know, among our athletes. And, and, I, and I think a diversity class can help us, you know, better understand the perspectives of of people different life experiences and cultures and you know social and economic backgrounds and religion and and language and sexual orientation and you know and it just may you know that may just be different from ours this is important now i I think more than ever i think there's a lot of psychology that people don't realize that goes on in the athletic training room a lot of i mean athletic trainers are default counselors they're default you know everything i mean you guys know more about personal lives and you probably care to know about a sure. lot of the athletes for sure. No sure, question. Sure. Well, yeah. And we, we are definitely on the front lines when it comes to, you know, especially on, on, on the mental health, you know, side of things. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, I feel like we're put in situations where I don't know what to do when it comes to, you know, certain, you know, questions that, that, that players have or, or, and expect us to give them answers, you know, oftentimes. How about you, Jim? I mean, I don't really know of anything I would recommend as making changes. I think that athletic training is a unique profession because you've got your hands in so many different areas, depending on what your work atmosphere is like. I know just in my short time and being back in California, they take for granted the importance of athletic training. I mean, there's no state licensure out here. There's no, and I don't know, Byron, you can correct me on this. You probably know more since you've been here longer than I have, but it seems like there's just no coverage for like, especially when you look at high school type coverage of, of sporting events, you know, they don't prioritize the athletic training side of it. And, you know, just the other day I saw where there was a local high school kid that collapsed and died on the field. And who knows if that was something that was preventable or it makes me believe that, you know, until you, if you're in an area where they don't value athletic training, but they're trying to conduct sports, I mean, I, I don't get that part of it. You know, I don't, I don't understand it. Now, obviously, I see things a little differently being retired now, but that's yep. that's what I the way I see it here in California. And I grew up in the state of Texas, which was the first state to really mandate athletic training. And then in Missouri, they have a very strong uh, athletic training presence. But out here, they don't. And this is one of the most populated states in the country. So... I don't know. You tell me, but something's something's out of whack when you look at it from that perspective. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I mean, that's that's an ongoing challenge, and I think that's always on our radar as team physicians and sports medicine docs. That you know, we're we're always looking out for when we're starting to see legislation pop up that that's devaluing the athletic trainer because that's all of you are such an important part and cog in the wheel of of what we do as a sports medicine team, and it still blows my mind that California hasn't figured it out yet. Right. Uh, but yep. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. Yeah. We keep fighting the good fight, right? Yep. That's it. That that is it. So <laughs> So we finish up with a feature that we use on this podcast. It's called the Pearl of the Podcast. We treat it kind of like a take home point, something memorable. I think it would be great for all of you to just kind of give something that from your careers or as an athletic trainer, what advice would you give to the soon to be or just starting athletic trainers out there? And we'll start with Byron. I, I think from an advice standpoint. You will get told no, you know, for jobs, you know, don't let rejection, you know, steer you away from, from your career goals. I, 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 you know, I just 
personally, you know, the first time I applied for, uh, you know, NFL summer internships, I received 32 rejection letters. And, you know, the following year I, I reapplied and I received 31 rejection letters. So, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, you know, was the one team that gave me an opportunity and, and, and all you need is that one opportunity. Sometimes they come, you know, when you least expect them. And just also just to continue to, you know, to, to work on your craft and, and, and most importantly, just stay progressive and, and, and you have to, you have to adapt with the times. I, I know now we kind of living in this world of, of sports science and sports performance, but what we're starting to realize, you, you know, athletic training is really starting to get integrated into this whole sports performance world. I think there's an area for athletic trainers to really kind of grow and develop in. How about you, Cindy? Mine is, you know, stay curious, meet the parents in the bleachers, go talk with the officials, wonder why that athlete isn't running her best, wonder why he's rubbing his shoulder after he gets done pitching and, and ask those questions, you know, stay curious, keep learning and, and, and be your best self. Jim, we'll let you take us home here. Okay. I mean, I think just from my years of experience and uh, working with intern, part-time interns, seasonal assistants, working with the SLU students and the WashU students when I was at WashU, I think one thing I would say is use your network of mentors. You know, you, you, you just never know. Stay in touch. You know, just simple conversations on the phone. You find out about job openings. You find out about so-and-so moved to this position. I mean, there's just so many things. I know when I came out of the educational area of it and, and getting into the profession early on, I always told people, I don't think it's always what you know, but it, a lot of it is who you know. And, you know, it's okay to take advantage of that. And that's one thing I see that a lot of the students that I've worked with over the past 10 years at Wash U, you don't hear much from them. And I understand lives are busy and you're going your way, but you know, if you're out there and you're looking for that pearl of a job and it always helps to stay in touch with your with your mentors because you never know where that might lead. Absolutely. Helps who you know. Helps who you know. So I'd really like to thank Jim, Cindy, and Byron for joining me today. Three awesome ATs I've had the pleasure of working with in my career. I do want to dedicate this episode in honor of National Athletic Training Month to the late Rick Larson, who passed away in February of 2020. He was the head athletic trainer for Washington University athletes for 35 years. He and I uh, had a special bond. We were both alumni of the University of Wisconsin. He uh, was actually the starting shortstop for three seasons there on their baseball team, which was a sport that unfortunately was cut while I was an undergrad at UW. So I didn't get the pleasure of watching the baseball team there. He was truly a great friend. He was a mentor for countless athletic trainers during his career. And, and we do miss you, Rick. Yeah, we um, do, Rick. And I really want to thank, big a thank you to all the hardworking athletic trainers out there. I, I see you. I see your efforts. I know that and unfortunately you get the short end of the stick a lot in the world of sports medicine. I truly appreciate all that you guys do, all those that I've had the great honor to work with during my career, and, and I will always have your back. So thanks for taking the time to listen today. I truly appreciate your listenership, and we appreciate your reviews and feedback. Follow us on Twitter at Peds Sports Pod. That's Peds, plural, sports, plural. And check out our entire podcast library at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been another episode of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.